Would you like to solve the puzzle? Go ahead. Superman and Spider Woman. No, that is not. Wonder Woman. Sometimes faith lets us down when faith is in ourself, right? Okay, so how many of you knew the answer to that? Superman and Wonder Woman. How did Spider Woman? <laughs> to this day, this guy is still asking himself, why did I say that, right? Hey, welcome to Seacoast. Hey, pray together, and we're going to go into the Word. Father God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this topic of faith that we've been exploring this summer. Uh, Father, it is uh, what, a, what a joy it is to be together and to listen to you, to learn from you. And I thank you that your word is so relevant to everything I face in life. So we pray today as we study it that you would uh, enlighten us, uh, bring your spirit to help us understand your word and, and help us understand ourselves so that we can apply it to our everyday life. In Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter, you should know. Uh, you're supposed to say chapter 11, and I was going to have some fun with you and say, no, we're going to go to chapter 12. So we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11 all summer, but today we're going to wrap up our study of chapter 11, but you're going to learn that to wrap up chapter 11 appropriately, we've got to go into the first two verses of chapter 12. So open your Bibles, get it open, Okay. And take out, there's an outline provided that will help you learn more if you pay attention to it. Take a few notes maybe and uh, engage with what we're teaching. All right, let's go there. We spent the summer looking at real people with real lives, real challenges from the Word of God with one common denominator. And it was captured in the very final verse of chapter 11, actually the last two verses of chapter 11. Ryan did a great job pointing this out last week. When it says this, after mentioning all these different characters who had trusted God by faith, he says, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had something even better for them. So this is a story of how it mean, of what it means to walk by faith with God and understand that sometimes even the things you're trusting God for, that he's made promises for, you may not fully experience the reward or the, or the fulfillment of those promises until after you leave this planet. But these were men and women who in different times, different ways, had one commonality. They walked by faith in God. And God says He was well pleased with that. In fact, if you look back at the, how this chapter begins, you see why this topic is so central to our lives. Chapter 11, verse 1 started this way as we started the summer. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen or of things eternal. For by it, men of old gained approval. How important is it? Go to verse 6 of chapter 11. It says, And without this faith, it is impossible to please God, to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe, trust in, have faith that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. As Ryan introduced the series, I've really liked coming back to this week after week. What it introduces us to is this idea that faith is what we call vintage faith. It's something ancient but of high quality that you need to hold on to. And vintage faith was defined as three with a threefold focus. Remember this? Here it is. 
the threefold focus on the character of God, the promises of God, and focused on eternal things. See, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen or eternal. For he who comes to God must believe that God really is. He's not a myth. He's real. That's his character, that God is and that he is a rewarder. He fulfills the promises that he makes. So walking with God at the heart of it is by faith believing the character, the promises of God and the eternal things that he promises. Today we're going to wrap up the series. But I want to wrap it up by asking this question for today, and that is this. But this works for these kind of superheroes of the faith. And we're talking about Abraham and Moses and you know, and, and Noah and and and, Kate, you know, and, and, and and Joshua and Daniel and all these big guys. But the question is, how does this really apply for normal, everyday followers of Jesus Christ on Monday? Because the danger of a study like this, where you're focused on all these great stories of great faith, is it's very easy for me, at least, to think, you know, I'm just Dale. I am not a Abraham or Moses or the Apostle Paul. So how does this, the teaching of chapter 11, translate for us? And the good news I have today is this verse that we're going to study. The summary of it is this. Therefore, let us also run the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. But the word I wanted you to underline first is the word us. Chapter 12 begins several times by using, therefore, let us run our race, because we've each got one, right? So listen to it, listen to the word of God, and then we're going to begin to take it apart today. Two verses with a lot of meat. So here we go. Listen to the Word of God. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Follow with me. Therefore, therefore. In other words, in light of all that we've learned in chapter 11, what's the takeaway? Well, according to Scripture, here it is. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, there it is again, surrounding us, let us, normal people, everyday followers of Jesus, let us lay aside every encumbrance, And the sin that so easily entangles who? Us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I just wanted you to see that Four or five times in those two short verses, the word that's used by repetition is the word us. It's talking about you and me. We're moving beyond the stories of these kind of superheroes of the faith. And now we're talking about normal, everyday people like you and me that say, okay, Dale, but where does this work in my life? What should be my focus as I kind of wrap up this series on Hebrews 11? And I think God, always being smarter than I am, gives us that focus in chapter 12. Chapter 12, two verses. Verse 1, verse 2. Here's how you break it down. Verse 1, four don'ts. 
four don'ts. Verse two, one do. Got it? Four things to avoid, one thing to focus on. And if you've learned that before you leave here today, it's going to help you this week. Here we go. What are the four don'ts first? Number one, don't be discouraged. You can run this race. God has a race for you. It's different for every one of us, all right? But this passage very clearly starts with this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run the race with endurance. Now, in that one little phrase, there were three sub points that all are designed, I believe, to encourage you uh, instead of being discouraged. Here they are. You have a cloud of witnesses which means you're not the first to do this. There's a whole cloud of people that are witnesses to the fact that if you walk by faith in God, God delivers on His promises. And you can really do this. Number two is He says, and these witnesses are like they're all around us, cheering us on. So you're not alone in your journey. And thirdly, He says, therefore, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We have the perfect mentor now, which they didn't even have. The Old Testament characters we're studying, they did not have Jesus Christ to focus on, right? They had a lot of other stuff to focus on, but they didn't have Christ. So we have the perfect mentor. We're not alone. We got got this big mob of witnesses surrounding us. Now this phrase, we have a great cloud of witnesses. Let me back up to that. The imagery here is of a marathon runner coming into the Olympic Stadium. We just lived through this as we watched the scenes in Rio, right? And you got a picture that this is the image. Because they were in, the, the picture was the Greek games. And, and as they came into the stadium, he says, it's as if there's a whole stadium full of people who are witnesses to the fact that you can do this. Why? Because they've done it too. These uh, witnesses, I think the language is that it's a mob of people, stadium full of people who have, they've run their own race and trusted God and they've finished well. So you're not alone. You're surrounded and you're not the first. So if you're ever tempted to be discouraged and and quit, then this passage begins with basically get up and get in the race. Get up and get in the race. And this mob of people, by the way, they're not like spectators today. Spectators today in most stadiums are not players, they're watchers, right? I mean, okay, if you go to the Charger game, do they play today? They play Thursday night, don't they? Huh? Today? Okay, who do they play today? Minnesota. Okay, good to know where some of your minds are. Okay, good. I'm just teasing. I should know this, all right? I live here, right? I'm a football fan. So uh, I think they also play Thursday night. But anyway, here we go. So they're playing Minnesota today. And, and when they go into the stadium, the, the fans are going to be, the stadium's going to be going to be full of thousands of people. How many of them are, how many of them have played professional football? Answer? Very few. Very few, maybe a handful. But this stadium, he says, we have a cloud of witnesses. And I think what he's teaching is these are people that bear witness to the fact, I've been there, I've faced the same problems you're facing, and if you put your faith in God, it really works. So these are a cloud of, it's like a stadium full full of people who in their past ran marathons and finished well. Maybe didn't medal, but they finished well. So if you pack the the stands with former marathon runners and then the leader of the marathon comes in, comes into the stadium, takes that last lap around the stadium, people go crazy, right? Because they're cheering him on. And he says that's how we need to approach our faith. 
The first thing is don't be discouraged if you have a setback. You can walk with Christ, make a difference in your world. Believe it. Number two, you say, okay, Dale, you got me motivated. I'm ready to get back in the game. Now he gives us three more things to watch out for, though. He picks it up. He says, so get in the game. You got a cloud of witnesses to get you off your bottom and back on the, in the race. Let us run the race and let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Stop there. What he's talking about, an encumbrance is something that weighs you down. Lay aside every encumbrance. If you're a marathon runner, let's talk about how they dress. Now, I thought about wearing my marathon clothing this morning, my little skimpy shorts, okay, you know, you know and I thought, no, 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 I'm not going to do that, okay, I don't even have them, okay, but, but, but if I did have them, I'm not going to wear them. So, so, but what do they wear? Now, picture this, do they wear jeans? No. They don't wear jeans. Do they wear work boots? No. Okay, do they even wear, uh, you know, clubby shoes? No. Do, do they, do, you know, they, 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 they wear as little as they can get by with because they don't want to carry any extra weight. I was noticing the American that ran the marathon this year, and the marathon this year began in the rain. A lot of the race was run in the rain. It was a rainy day, and, and he had a cap that he was wearing to, you know, and, uh, and I noticed something. Uh, shortly into the race, I noticed he took his cap off, which had gotten wet, and he threw his cap away. He didn't want the weight, the extra weight of a wet cap. He got a dry cap three times during the race just to lighten his load, whatever a wet cap weighs. Now picture that. So you don't wear it. You want to wear as little as you can get by with and run that race. You don't want to carry extra load. You don't carry a backpack. You don't carry a water bottle. Whatever you need, you want to lighten your load. And this is what he's saying spiritually. Lay aside every encumbrance. Now, what's that mean? What he's talking about is things that weigh you down. Because our race by faith is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Or better yet, it's almost like a determined walk in the right direction. That's my definition of what it means to really be walking with Christ. Um, you know, God is not asking you to be a spiritual uh, uh, Usain Bolt. He's not asking you to be the fastest Christian on the planet. He's not asking you to accomplish tremendous things overnight. What he's asking you to do is, by faith, keep on track. Keep running your race. Whatever race God sets in front of you, Whatever he calls you to do and be in your life, do it. Persevere and do it. It's one step after another in the right direction. See, I'm glad that God doesn't call us to, to do everything overnight or to, to be a sprinter for Jesus, you know. But he's saying, just stay with the race. It's more like a marathon than it is a sprint. To do that, it means we've got to lay off something. You know, when, you, when you think about that phrase, to lay off things that burden you or weigh you down, he's really not talking about sins, but he's talking about distractions. Because I know the very next phrase is going to be, and put away the sin that entangles you. So we know that these encumbrances are not sin, usually. They're not sin issues, uh, but they are often issues of, worry and anxiety and distraction. 
I think of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had a couple conversations this brings to mind. One point, Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha. Remember this? And he's spending some time with Mary, and Mary's sitting at his feet, and Martha is fixing dinner. Nothing wrong with fixing dinner for Jesus. That's pretty important. If Jesus came to your house, you'd be fixing him dinner, right? And you might be a little stressed over that. And in the midst of it, she kind of loses her cool, begins to complain about her sister, and Jesus says, Martha! In fact, he repeats her name twice, which tells me she kept talking the first time. Martha! Martha! You know, you ever done that with your kids, by the way? I used to do that all the time. The second child gets their attention, just like I woke some of you up, okay? So he says, Martha, Martha! He says, you are worried and bothered by so many things. You need, to, you need to relax in me. And I think in my life, what I've seen is I get worried and bothered by things, and it distracts me spiritually. So what are the things that worry and bother you? That's what he's talking about when he says, lay aside things that encumber you, weigh you down. See, what are the top things that worry people? I saw a survey by Discipleship Journal, which by the very title of the magazine tells me this is a journal for pretty serious Christians, right? They surveyed the readers of Discipleship Journal and they asked them, what are the number one things that, that distract you or weigh you down? that you worry about. And uh, according to this survey of men and women in America, they said materialism was number one on the list. Uh, Others include things like career, family, uh, kids. And and, and there's nothing wrong with career. You've got to have one to pay the bills. Nothing wrong with family if God blesses you to have a family. There's nothing wrong with, with, with money or things until they become an encumbrance where you are so worried about that stuff that it distracts you from your primary affection and faith in Christ. You begin to put your faith in those things instead of putting your faith in Christ. Christ says, the first thing is lighten up. Get rid of the stuff that just weighs you down. Number three, number one, don't get discouraged. Other people have done this and succeeded. Number two, don't get encumbered. In other words, don't be so caught up worrying about other things that you get distracted. Number three, he says, and let us run the race. Uh, Here it is. Let us run the race, laying aside our encumbrance, and lay aside the sins that so easily entangle us. So now he goes from encumbrances that weigh you down or tax you to sin that can trip you up. The one just weighs you down. The other can wipe you out. One of them tax you, the other one trips you. And he says sin is like that. Sin, you can get tangled up in your own sin. When I think of Scripture, there's a great cross-reference. It's on the screen, Matthew 5, 22. It says, in his own sins, uh, his own sins will capture the wicked. They will be held by the cords of their sin. Sin is like that. Sin is like a cord that entangles us. To use my marathon uh, runner metaphor, since I'm kind of on that, in other words, don't ignore an untied shoelace. An untied shoelace is not a big deal, especially if you're just walking slowly. Probably not going to be a problem. But if you're running, if you're cruising along, and you've got an untied shoelace, and you step on it, what happens? Bam, you are on your face. See, and, and that's the way sin is. 
So I think what he's talking about here is, is not even the sins that tend to... Um, I mean, all of us sin. In fact, 1 John 1.10 says, 1 John 1.10 says, if, if anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. But it says one verse earlier, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, God acknowledges the fact that we all sin, but, but if we're, are, are we, when we sin, taking it seriously, taking it to God in a spirit of confession, admitting to God, God, I just blew it. I can't believe I had that attitude or that thought or that action, whatever it was, and, 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 and claiming his forgiveness and drawing back close to God because you were, you're reminded of his grace. See, you know, that type of sin is probably not going to wipe you out. But the sin that we tolerate is the one that will trip us up. I'll say that again. The sin that you tolerate, you don't try to stop it. You're not working on it. You're not trying to figure out what's going on in my heart that causes me to do this. Why do I do it again and again? The sin that we tolerate can trip us up. Put us on our face. A few years ago in Fullerton, one of my uh, one of my staff members, who had uh, served Christ as a pastor for a bunch of years, fifteen plus years, uh, made one dumb decision that wrecked his life and took him out of ministry. And we had to. I had the sad assignment of writing a letter to the church, and one side of the letter was this pastor confessing the sin that he had committed and, um, and the fact that he was resigning from our staff. And on the other side of the letter was my task to write a letter to the church from my perspective, expressing our love and our forgiveness and uh, our belief in this guy. But he, he needed, because of the particular sin, he needed to take a break. He needed to step out of ministry. And I remember in that letter that I wrote, there was a line that I, that I felt like God kind of gave me that I put in the letter that said, all of us, before you, before you get too prideful and begin to say, I would never do what he did, you need to realize that all of us are one dumb decision from wrecking our lives. So we need to be loving him, loving his wife, loving them through this crisis they went through. Um, and today I'm happy to tell you he's back in ministry and he's back serving Christ and and God saved his marriage and put it back together. But but he did one incredibly dumb thing. And you need to know that Dale and every other man, woman in this room, we can probably right now think of a moment where we had a decision where we could have wrecked our lives. So what he said, you know, God says, if you want to run the race with endurance, uh, stay motivated by the fact that there's a bunch of witnesses that are cheering you on. You're not alone. Number two, avoid being so concerned and weighed down by stuff of this earth, especially as Jesus said, don't don't worry. Another place, Jesus said, Matthew six, Jesus says, you spend so much time, ye of little faith, you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to dress how you're going to dress and where you're going to live. And he says, don't you just look at the birds and the lilies and realize your father loves you and he'll take care of you. So seek first the kingdom of God 
and all these other things will be added unto you, Matthew 6.33, okay? So, you know, in other words, don't be encumbered by worries of this earth. Number two, don't be entangled by neglecting and tolerating sin that can trip you up and put you on your face and ruin your life. Take it seriously. Number four, there's one more. The fourth thing is this, don't quit when you hit seasons of pain. Don't quit when you hit seasons of pain. We've taught on this before here at Seacoast, and if you're new, I would encourage you to go back on our website to a sermon series called um, uh, Everybody Hurts was the name of the series. We took eight weeks to unpack God's purpose and plan for pain, where pain comes from, how God uses it, how God hates it, but he uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So one of the common things that wipe out a lot of Christians in their walk by faith is when they encounter a painful circumstance, they don't get the job they pray for, they lose the job they've got, they experience relational conflict, um, they experience illness, they pray for someone who has an illness, and God chooses to not answer with a yes. That, that all kinds of things happen in our lives that are painful, and, and, and we get derailed from our faith. And I think that's why he says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. He's warning us, you're going to need to endure some pain. As I like to refer to it, Christians have been incorrectly taught today that when you come to Jesus Christ, God's love is like a big bubble over you that's going to protect you from any hard stuff happening in life. The truth of the matter is, it's not taught in the Word of God. It's a myth. There is no bubble that protects you from pain. Now, there is a bubble of the love of God that surrounds you that will go through the painful experiences with you. So God's love and His encouragement and His comfort, those things surround you. But that bubble does not act as a shield protecting you from illness or disease or, or, or heartache or disappointment or being hurt or wounded by people. That is life on planet Earth right now. Now, there is an eternal future. Good news. There is an eternal... See, that's just... I needed a, 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 a proofs. I mean, colds happen, right? Right. Amen. So, you know, the reality is um, there is no bubble, but there is the promise that you have an eternal life free of all pain and suffering coming. So it's just not now. So if you've been incorrectly taught that, be careful. You, you're... you're, you're prime target for being taken out of the race uh, when Satan comes along and allows, you know, God allows some pain in your life and, 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 you, and you begin to lose your faith. Like, God, where are you? See, these are the four don'ts. Don't get discouraged. Others have done it and so can you. You can walk by faith in God. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're going you're to mess up at times, but God loves you and you can, you, you can stay in the race. Number two, don't get weighed down by the concerns of the world encumbered. Number three, so lighten up, lighten your load. In terms of sin, don't let it trip you up, okay? So tighten up those shoelaces, okay? You know, whatever it is in your life that you're tolerating as a sin that you think no one will ever find out, tighten it up. So lighten it up, tighten it up, and then finally expect a little bit of pain so when it comes... You don't quit. Don't quit.
Now, those are the negatives. Now, I don't like to end on the negatives, and I don't think God does either. So he gives us verse 2 to give you the positive flip side to this thing. How do you run with endurance? Avoid the negatives and do this one thing. Let us run with endurance the, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There it is. There it is. So what do you do? Focus on Christ. But the question is, why focus on Christ? Why is Jesus such an important focus if we're going to really endure and run this race? You focus on Christ. Why Jesus? For four reasons. And I'll give them all to you. And then we'll talk about him. Number one, it says he's the author. It says four things about Jesus. It says he's the author and perfecter of faith. He's the author of faith. He wrote the book on faith. Read the Gospels. Jesus models it for us. He wrote the book on faith. Secondly, he is the perfecter of faith. The word in Greek is the word that means to, to finish or to complete or to bring something to maturity. That word perfecter. So Jesus is the perfecter of faith. He is the ultimate role model because he never blew it. He lived it perfectly. But he's also, I think, our perfecter. In other words, he gives us the strength to mature and, and, to be, and, and eventually he will perfect you and me as well. So he's both the ultimate model, but he's also the source of strength. He's the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, uh, number three, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured even the cross. Now, this phrase fascinates me. My little explanation of this is this. Jesus focused on the joy of the finish, not the junk along the way. He focused on the joy of the finish, not the junk along the way. See, Jesus had painful experiences. Jesus got harmed by people. Jesus, got, Jesus was mistrusted by people. Jesus was lied about. He was slandered. He was abused. He had one of his closest followers desert him and try to sell him out. He, he experienced every type of pain and suffering, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain. He experienced every type of pain that you and I could ever experience in life. But yet... He stayed on course for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, which tells me this. As Jesus was suffering, he didn't focus on the suffering. He focused on the finish, the joy set before him. He knew where he was headed. Now, what really motivated Jesus to hang tough when things got tough? And, and, I, and I found a verse that I think captures it maybe better than any other single verse in Scripture. It's John chapter 4 verse 34 john 4 34 this is not in the notes so if you're not writing this down you're going to lose it you'll go home a spiritual cripple that's eh, probably an exaggeration but this is good learn this john 4 24 here's the scene jesus sends his disciples away to get something to eat because they got no food sends them into town picture in and out they're waiting in line at in and out to get the burgers and the fries and the coke to bring back to Jesus. They go through and they get some Jewish fast food. They're coming back. In the meantime, Jesus has a fascinating conversation with this woman at the well. 
and she's an unbelieving Samaritan. He brings her to a point of faith so much that she runs into town to get her friends to come out and meet Jesus the Messiah. So Jesus is, man, he's having a great time. The guys show up with the food, and, and they don't know any of this has happened. And, they, and Jesus says, I don't want to eat right now. And they go, did someone bring him food? I mean, he sent us into town because he's hungry. Now he doesn't want to eat. You know, what's up with this? And, and this is all in the Greek language. You have to read it in Greek. But, you know, but Jesus, that's a joke. You can read it in English. It's right there. But Jesus says to them, he says, hey, guys, because they're discussing with each other, why isn't he wanting to eat? And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says this, guys, I have food to eat that you do not understand. Because my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish His work. To do His work. My, and, look, and then he says, and look on the fields because they are white for harvest. And what he's looking at are all the people dressed in white coming out from the city to talk to Him. Because they want to hear about Messiah. They want to hear about life. So Jesus is in the middle of introducing people to things that will change their eternity. And he says, I've lost my appetite for burgers. There's something that feeds my soul more than physical food, and that is doing the will of my Father. So let me bring it up. Here's my summary. Here's what motivates Jesus. He says, for the joy set before him. What is that joy? He found his joy in pleasing his Father, accomplishing his mission, and investing in eternal rewards. Now that is something I can live by. Wake up every day saying, okay, God, as I go to work, as I go to school, as I teach, as I work, as I'm a doctor and I'm an attorney, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. As I go to work, you live for these three things. And you just get a paycheck on the side. See, when people give you a paycheck at work, do you recognize that person is paying you? They don't know this. Don't tell them. They are paying you so that you can support your family but spend your time in the workplace saying, Heavenly Father, use me today. Heavenly Father, what is my mission today? How can I love people toward Jesus Christ today, right where I am? And someone's going to pay you to do that. They just don't know it. Because you always have to do something else too. Okay? You've you got to do something else too to earn the, earn the paycheck. But while you're earning the paycheck, you really, you really wake up every day saying, how can I please my Heavenly Father how can I move his mission forward? And how can I invest my life in things that change something that is eternal? Which is people. People. That's where you find your joy. When you find your joy, like Jesus did, you can endure whatever cross he asks you. To carry. So that's how you run with endurance. See, that's how we finish strong as followers of Christ. We do it by watching out for the four don'ts. Lighten up what you worry about. Tighten up what could trip you up. And especially, then keep your focus on Christ He's my role model. He's my example. And I want to find my joy where he found his joy. So whatever comes my way, 
I don't quit. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this incredible short passage, just packed with wisdom for each of our lives. Uh, Father, I pray for myself that you'd help me to uh, really find my joy, Father, in the things that Christ found his joy in. So, Father, we just pause for a minute to recommit ourselves to run the race. Some of us in the room, Father, have quit. Uh, We're here, but we've really quit running the race for you. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Get us back in the game when we've been discouraged. Help us to trust you, your character, your promises. Help us, Father, to find our joy in the things that gave joy to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray as we, as we worship you now. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand for a final song, huh? Lead us, Toby.